processing through things, we're often heightened in our emotions initially. When I can process through that a little bit more, let some steam off, then I can talk to her about it and we can just work through the issues versus my issues with the issues. Welcome to Ultra Habits. Here, we go under the hood with our guests to unpack the minutiae and to understand what processes and systems they engage or research that result in ultra-enhanced living. Hey guys, it's RJ Singh here from Ultra Habits. Super, super stoked that you are joining us on another episode. So this week we have Dominique McKenna. Now, Dom and I go way back. I've known Dom for many years. When I did live here in Melbourne and initially got sober, I met Dom and he is a remarkable human, unbelievable amount of energy. The man is a source of wisdom. The only person that I know that can literally retain everything he reads. Um, it's, it's quite remarkable. Now, Dom and I have known each other for a while. I moved to Sydney, kind of lost contact with him. But since moving back to Melbourne, reconnected with him. And we caught up the other day and we realized just how much we have in common, primarily our dedication to family, growth, business. We really share a lot of passions. Now, Dom is a master business builder. He is a real fantastic networker. The guy can move and groove with the best of them. And yeah, we we really share very similar principles and ethos when it comes to the way that we live and we do business. Now, Dom is here today to share his philosophy on life, on business, on family. We talk about all these things in depth. He also talks about how he has built a business with his wife, and we all know that that can be tricky. So for those of you that are really thinking about developing and starting a business with your spouse, this is a must listen to. Now, folks, as always, I'm going to ask you to rate this podcast. If you haven't already, go to www.ultrahabits.co, check it out, leave us a review, tell us what you think. Anyways, folks, I'm going to leave you in the capable hands of Dom. I'm out of here. Peace. Have a great week. And remember, focus on those habits. Dom McKenna, welcome to Ultra Habits, man. Great to be here. It's really good when I get someone on the show that I've got history with. You know, we're doing a lot of these interviews via video now, and you don't always get the opportunity. I don't always get the opportunity to really have that relationship with someone. I think when you do, it makes the conversation have more depth and you've got a wider range on where the other person's coming from, right? Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. And we can dig deep too. We can jump into everything and unpack the minutiae, as you say. That's right. So one of the reasons I, I love you, Dom, and we'll jump into the whole story of Dom and what you're up to and, and uh, the audience is going to derive lots of value, I have no doubt. But um, one of the drivers on getting you here on the show was your level of accountability and ownership is is next level right like your 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 view on your ability to create your future is solid and strong and you have a really good grasp on that and what i also love is that you have a view that by dedicating yourself to your growth and your self-improvement, your chosen environments will naturally enhance as a result. And again, that's that 100% ownership piece. And 
I really wanted to get you on the show to understand your psychology. You talk about living through your values. I think let's start there. What does that actually mean, Dom? Hmm, that's a great. That's a great question. So if I think a lot of us don't sit down and actually figure out what our values are, like what they really are, and I know that um, for me, like my my values that I that I've sat down and worked out with my wife because she's my business partner and life partner and everything is uh, you know my number one value is sobriety. One thing uh, that's been it's so important. Everything flows from that for me because I lived a period of time where I was not sober and nothing flowed. Uh, everything was blocked and there was a lot of challenges. Uh, and then of course um, I value freedom, so I'm really big on the idea of financial freedom, uh, family freedom, uh, and then the concept of teaching others how to how to duplicate that. And then, of course, relationships. I'm really, really high on the relationship scale, growth. Um, and then, of course, there's you know there's going to be other things that come out of sight of sort of my top four or five values. But you know what? Most people's number one value is RJ comfort. Comfort. You know, because over and over and over again, people will say to you, man, that's, that doesn't fit my values when they're making an excuse for leaving something or stopping something or, or not completing something they've finished. And, and it's, that's not my values. And it's like, yeah, it's because you're probably your number one value is comfort and you got uncomfortable. You brought up a really interesting point there, Dom. So we'll talk about how someone establishes their values in a second. But let's just say the individual that has the established value or value system. How many people, because I know that you work with a lot of couples uh, in business, like how many people do you work with? They may understand their values, but they never proactively align with their partners. Like, is that an issue? Is that a thing? Like, have you seen that happen? Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, let's just take one step back. Let's talk about value misalignment, values misalignment. How often do we hear people say that money is not the number one thing they value? Would you, would you say that's fair? Not the number one. Yeah, all of it. Now, the 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 noble answer is to say money's not the most important thing. But then, if we think about it, we say family's the number one important thing. But we leave the thing we say we value most to go and set, to go and make the thing we say we value least. And so, how do we figure out what our values actually are? Well, for me, I can look at two things. I can look at someone's bank account, and I can look at their diary. And how they spend their two most important resources, their time and their money, tells me what they truly value. And people say, you know, I live a values-driven life. It's like, okay, well, show me these two things and let's see what you value most. Because your values are telling me very, very high on that scale is entertainment. A lot of people, RJ, we're living in a world where people are in a comfort crisis. People are entertaining themselves to death. To dig into that, though, you, you, you asked me about their couples. We help people get in. Many couples aren't in value alignment. You know, one might value growth, one might value comfort. And so then what can happen there is you have a bit of a splinter effect where um, unless that couple get on the same frequency or they support each other's dreams and goals, you can have a lot of uh, turbulence in the relationship. Because a lot of the times, the reasons that we get together with someone is that they may be very different to us, right? But when you're in business with each other, that difference or differences can come up against each other, right? And then we need to understand how we can align, evolve, and grow, I suppose, together, right? Yeah. Well, it's, we have a saying uh, in, in the world I live in that's opposites attract and then opposites attack. Unpack that. So opposites attract, you know, op- my, my wife and I are opposites in many ways. You know, we, we, so many different, so many things are different about us. But then what tends to happen is we love 
the thing that we see in someone else is not in us. You know, I get, I'll give an example. I get one couple, someone's really strong driver, driver achiever. The other one's a bit more relaxed, a bit more go with the flow. And together, man, they have this awesome harmony. And then they start to fight because he's, he's really driven and he's starting to push her. And she doesn't want to be pushed. She wants to, she wants to glide with him, you know, but then he starts to make her like him. And then she's like, why aren't you more like me? And that's when we start to attack. We don't have maturity. That's where it's important to have mentorship and coaching in your marriage, in your relationship. You'd be amazed how many couples that I've done marriage counseling. I don't have marriage problems because I'm a big believer in preventative maintenance. You know, and having someone to go to, to bounce stuff off, to talk about, hey, this is going on in my marriage. Can I get some perspective on that? That's, that's, that's just part of the world of self-growth. But the context of business creates change and with change and evolution, there's conflict, right? And I suppose when you're, you know, when you're in business with someone who's fundamentally different and sees things differently to you, and then you come up against conflict, that's when there can be some really, you know, some real issues, I suppose, right? Absolutely. And I think as an entrepreneur, which is what I am and my wife is, but then if we, if we step outside of us and we go, okay, well, someone's entrepreneurial and then someone's more driven, their values are more like safety and they, they, you know, they want security and then someone's more entrepreneurial, you've got a values alignment, uh, misalignment there. And there's going to be problems in that relationship. If somebody's threshold for risk is really high and then somebody else takes a lot of risk, there's going to be some issues that are going to pop up there. Um, you ever read a book called Think and Grow Rich? Yeah, Napoleon Hill. Great book, right? One of the, I mean, one of the all-time greats. It's one of those books that you can read probably, you know, 10 times and still pick stuff up out of it. Can I just can I can I just tell you one thing out of it that I found incredibly helpful? But this is um this is one piece of the book here. I talk to people a lot about being vigilant with their life partner choice. And this is a, it's quite a controversial topic, RJ, because people get very like, oh, they take it very personally and they get very sensitive about this. But I've been in business 11 years now. And I have seen so many people succumb to this as, as an issue where they, they actually misalign their life partner. They pick, they pick someone who's not necessarily supportive of what they're doing. You know, maybe, maybe there's other great things about them, but they, they can just chip away at the dream. And here's, a, here's Causes of Failure by Napoleon Hill. He says, Number so number fifteen of this list wrong selection of a mate in marriage, the most common cause of this is the this is a most common cause of failure. The relationship of marriage brings intimately people into contact. Unless this relationship is harmonious, failure is likely to follow. Moreover, here it comes. It will be a form of failure that is marked by misery and unhappiness, destroying all signs of ambition. I, I've seen that a lot. You, you pick the wrong life partner, man. That can derail your life dramatically. Mm. So it's really a case of evolve and grow together or misalign and ultimately destroy yourselves in the relationship, I suppose, right? Well, isn't it important? Isn't it, isn't it really important before you get married or get engaged? Or these days, what, what, we're, what we're seeing in society, and this is, by the way, this is an observation, this isn't even a judgment, is we're seeing people have children before they're even engaged or married have kids, uh, you know, they call it out of wedlock, even though it sounds a little bit religious, not meant to, out of wedlock, and then they try to figure it out as they go, where it's like, but now there's all this pressure to figure it out because they have a child. And then what happens is, I was talking to a barber about this the other month, he's like, I'm with, you know, I'm with this lady, we've had two kids, but, you know, I don't really want to be with her. We got together really young. We didn't know who we were. So I always say, RJ, take it slowly in relationships. You know, there's a lot of questions you want to ask. There's there's many books on this type of stuff. I think there's one book with like 101 things to ask before you get engaged, that type of thing. And so it's being 
like you would running a business. Like you, you have a you have a successful business. If I said to you that I wanted fifty percent of that company, do you think you put me through some form of vetting and selection? That's an interesting point, though. That more, you know, people are more intentional about things like running a business. And, you know, you've talked about it, Jack Daly, a friend of mine talks about people are more intentional about their holidays than planning their own life. Like we tend to be very ad hoc when it comes to matters of our own life. And we have a tendency to drive more diligence in things that maybe aren't as important. That's so true, isn't it? So true. And then what we do is we take our, we take our focus off that. And we, because we, the, the hardest balance as, a, as an entrepreneur, striver, driver is keeping things in balance to some degree. And to really make a business successful, you've got to give that thing a significant amount of attention over an extended period of time. And what happens in RJ is our attention comes off other things. I've had that in my relationship early days. I'm so focused on making things happen in my business that then my relationship doesn't get the attention it should. The love languages aren't met. As um, John Gray talks about in Men, for, Men from Mars, he says we start to withdraw versus deposit emotionally. And then we overdraw on the bank and we all know how that ends up. And, and we're doing it in our business. We're contributing to that, but then our relationship comes undone. So what I want, RJ, and what I try to mentor and teach people in, in my business is to have multidimensional success, relationships, finances, your family, your emotional life, your spiritual life. Because if we can get these things in some sort of a harmony, I don't like the word balance, but some sort of harmony, we're going to win. Yeah. And that was, you know, you just touched on something I want to, I want to ask you about. So what is your view on balance and what's the difference between balance and harmony? Look, I think balance, I think balance is being oversold. Um, It's being, it's oversold like passion. Passion is very much oversold, Uh, misinterpreted because passion means suffering. If you go to the Latin word, that's why it's called the passion of the Christ. Um, Passion's oversold. And then balance is oversold. Man, you want to have work-life balance. Bro, how can you have work-life balance when you work five days a week and then you get really a day and a half, two days off? You're already out of balance. Your, your contract says, you think about this people you employ, it says you work 37 and a half hours and you start working 40. It's immediately out of balance. So this is where people are like, man, I need more balance in my life. It's like, mm, you just need things to be in harmony to move forward. But a lot of people trying to compartmentalize their lives. Now, that's why my identity, which I know we're going to touch on, is an entrepreneur. I'm not, it's, it's, it's just how I live my life. And my business partner is also my wife. So I've had to work extra hard at keeping that harmony happening within our relationship. And I don't always get it right, RJ. Sometimes I stuff it up and it normally comes down to my self-centeredness and whether that rears its head or not, it comes up, it comes down. But most of the time we live in harmony. How do you get a view on when you're living in harmony or you're not? Like, what are your mechanisms to, to, to that kind of enable you to to understand your whether or not you're actually in harmony or not? Great question. So, let's take this to the radical degree. I knew a guy he, he worked with Tony Robbins. He runs a spreadsheet, uh, color coded spreadsheet on time he spends in business, time he spends with his kids, times he spends with his wife. He can look at any week and see the color mismatch. To be fair, RJ, I am not that dedicated to spreadsheets. That's 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 hectic. For me, what I what I do is I build systems into my life where I go, okay, my wife Karina will sit down once a week and we do a planning session where we review that week, how things went, what we did each day, keeps each other accountable to. The system does, not me. <laughs> there's, a, there's a lesson in that, gentlemen. And then the following week, we talk about how we're going to ex- execute what we're going to do and we forward plan. We also have a date night every Saturday night. Every Saturday night, we'll, 
you will never ever get me to do anything with you Saturday night, RJ. It's it's, it's non negotiable. Sunday morning, we have that off. We spend that to one o'clock with the kids. And on Saturday afternoon, I'll do a few catch ups with people. I'll do a bit of stuff Sunday. So I have certain times in the week that are totally non negotiable to fill the love tank up. And if I, if I, if I miss those, if I miss those, you can literally watch the emotional withdrawal start to happen with both of us. And that's when problems occur. And then you start to feel like you're two ships in the night passing each other. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, for us, because we do everything together, then what, what happens is we start to run over each other. And then we start to we start to double double up on stuff, and then get frustrated with each other because we're not because you know what do they say? It's like harmony begins and ends with communication in everything, right? Assumptions, underassuming, overassuming, all these things that we've seen. So we just learn to communicate, and and sometimes over communicate. I'm an over communicator. Does your intensity in your relationship or your intensity as an individual and Karina being quite different to you like how do you manage the differences in your energy because i know for 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 me you know sometimes i'll come home from the office and i'm like you know i haven't necessarily created the space between where i'm at when i leave the office to when i put that key in the door and i'm rocking in with the same energy and i'm just manic right like you can feel the heat and I'm like telling her about everything and I can, and then, you know, there's been times where she's like, just, whoa, right? Like, how do you, do you ever get into that kind of situation? How do you manage that? Absolutely. I, I've learned the hard way, man. There's a, there's my wife's a morning person. I'm a night person. I'm a night owl. Right? I don't like, if, if I could just live without sleeping, that'd be fantastic, but it's not reality. So I'm, I go to bed about 11, 30, 12. I get up, you know, 7, 7, 30. And then she she's in bed a little bit earlier than that. She gets up a bit earlier and and, and uh, takes the kids. We just got a bit of a system. But yeah, absolutely. I've learned that if I finish something up, talking to someone at nine thirty or ten, my energy levels are high. Like I need to go. I got to have a system to wind down. And what that winding down does not involve defragging onto her, because she's already started winding down. And he, you know, because we don't come home from work, we sort of just we just we, in many ways we just live our life because we work from home and we roll. But at the same time, I've learned not to unload on her. I actually have a mentor. RJ and that um, that mentor, funnily enough, is my dad. So I'm in business with my wife and I, my mum and dad, and I've learned to defrag to him, not to defrag to her. And I found that someone I can, if I'm having issues at work, if I'm having issues in, in the work that I do or whatever you want to call it, and my my day to day running in my business, I will take it to him. Or I'll take it to my mum, and I'll and I'll defrag that. And uh, and you know what? It's so much better that way because processing through processing through things, we're often heightened in our emotions initially. When I can process through that a little bit more, let some steam off, then I can talk to her about it and we can just work through the issues versus my issues with the issues. That's really good insight and advice for me because at times I can use my wife Tilly as a bit of an advisor and you know her her business acumen, intelligence and understanding of you know shareholding and kind of the concepts around equity and the Game of Thrones that we play sometimes in commerce is increasing and that's great that i can come and she'll give me advisory almost like you know uh she's a really strong trusted advisor and i really love that and respect that but she's very different to me energetically so i'll rock you know through the door she'll ask me my day next thing i'm going into a tirade about the minutia and you know she's winding down she's had the kids all day and she's like you know she's good enough to hear it but i can i can i can tell that sometimes i just completely miss the mark and I think I think I'll take that on board myself, man. It'll probably make uh, a happier night, happier evening in our house for sure. Absolutely. So what I would do if I was you, and this is 
you didn't ask my opinion, there'd be someone I'd be calling on the way home. You got a bit of a drive too. So someone I'd be calling on the way home, or even even an, another tool for anybody listening. You need to get stuff off your chest. You you one of the greatest resources that we have is this device right here. Open up voice notes, defrag it to yourself. Get it off your chest. Talk about it. Talk through it. Especially someone like you who's extroverted, just like me. I defrag it. So sometimes what I will do, RJ, if I have if I have to have a crucial conversation with someone, hold someone to account, raise some standard on someone, whatever it is, I will literally send myself the voice note I'm going to send them first because I would never send the first message. My dad for years has said to me, I, I never send the email. I put it in my draft, I sleep on it, then I send it. My biggest problems in business have come from what we call E plus R equals O, event plus response equals outcome. Me not managing my R factor properly, my response. And so I always put that. Now, I've learned, and I say always, I've learned through the school of hard knocks to space between me and the R, which is part of that defrag. You know, we want to defrag our emotions, but we've got to have a little bit of space. You, uh, you touched on a model that I, I, I want to unpack with you, so we'll go for it right now. So this E plus R equals O. It's all a flow on from our perception, right? It's the way that we interface and react to situations. Now, this is highly nuanced. And as someone that's in recovery, I am. For me, the way that I perceive things is critical, right? Because it frames my reality. And if I'm not necessarily traveling well and you know I'm completely giving into my perceptions, I will then act from that place. What is your view on perception and how can we get better at perception management or cleansing our perception? Mm. Yeah, I think what happens with perception, right, is emotion and logic, two different things. One's one sometimes they can be intertwined and one gets over heightened. And often my problem with perception is I'm being too emotional about something. My dad said to me years ago, he said, business is an intelligent sport, not an emotional sport. I'm like, well, that's that's great, but I'm driven by emotions at that phase of my life. So everything's emotional versus learning to be more logical, learning to pro- what we call become a better processor of our decisions. And so that model that I, I read a book uh, in 2017, it was the best book I read in 2017. I, can, I know every every year for the last 10 years, I can tell you the best book I read. I love it. I'm a beast at reading. I just, I, just, I literally love it. And I read a book called Above the Line by Urban Mayer football coach in the states and he gives this model called you live above and below the line it's a behavioral model above the line is like intentional on purpose and skillful in everything we do below the line is on autopilot reactive uh, very emotional and so for me i can measure my behavior at any time rj by going am i living above or below the line someone cuts me off in traffic i call them a dickhead that's probably below the line behavior <laughs> e plus r equals o is like okay well i'm going to manage my response factor which is going to allow me to live more above the line because it's in that moment, um, so, look, put it this way, something emotional happens. My wife says to me, man, why don't you do this? Can you get this done? Because you haven't done it in the last month. All the cortisol in my body starts to increase uh, and I start to justify. I start to do what's called BCD. I blame, I complain, and I defend. Yeah, I have. I actually did this, 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 and this, and this. Just, I don't just take, just take the bins out you know, below the line BCD behavior. And so I've had to really work that model into my life because as an extrovert, here's the issue. Extroverted people, I swear, and this might just be males in general, we, we add GST to everything. 
emotional emotions to everything, right? We're putting all, everything on top. You can just take off about 10%. And so I've just learned to have the, that space in my life and ask, what does this situation require? When COVID happened, RJ, we had a conferences. I ran them in Melbourne, Perth, and New Zealand. We were in the middle of running one with Perth with two couples from America that were out here paying them a huge amount of money to come out for three weeks. The next one was going to New Zealand and Jacinta Ardern shut down the border the Sunday night when they were flying over on the Monday morning. So I had four days to figure out how to run a virtual conference. Never done that before. Never streamed a conference. That next weekend out of a university in Melbourne, we streamed this entire event to hundreds of people across Australia and New Zealand. The event was a massive hit because those systems of E plus R equals O, B, C, D were able to be intentional and put that together in four days. Yeah, you know, what I love about that model and and that way of operating is, again, you're bringing it back to yourself, right? It's that accountability and responsibility of how you interpret and then respond. Now, my question to that is, you know, in that situation that you brought up where your wife may have said something to you in a certain way, do you ever get caught up on, well, I didn't like the way you said it? Like, is there ever you pushing back on the delivery or are you always really looking at your part in the situation and whether or not there is something you could do to immediately shift the environment? I used to a lot more. Yeah, I used to a lot more. Um, and I used to get caught up on the stuff that doesn't really matter. And I've come to realize, like, you know, I didn't like the way you said it, but why did you say it? What's driving that? And I'm not perfect, man. If she came on here, she could correct. She would, she would sort me out in a heartbeat. But at the same time, like most of the time, I don't go down the, I don't like the way you said that to me. I didn't appreciate that. And to be fair, she's pretty amazing, man. She doesn't, my wife is probably the most, one of the most balanced people I've met in my entire life. And I've met a lot of people. I know that's rose-colored glasses, but she's, she is, mate, she's not only my soulmate, but she's just a bloody exceptional human. She's more balanced than me. She has a better gauge on things than me. She's who I go to and go, hey, I'm feeling like this. And she goes, hey, hey just chill it back a little bit. At the same time, I used to get caught up on that type of stuff. That's the minutia, the stuff. But here, here's my principle that I live by. Do I want to be right or do I want to be happy? And here's the problem, RJ, with a type A personality, being right actually makes me happy. So I've really had to, I've really had to peel it back and go, you know what? This, this is not a big deal. It's actually not a big deal. And you know what? Nothing has really been a big deal in, in 10 years now of marriage. There is one thing that's a big deal. One thing that's a big deal in that trust trust that's the that's one of that's the foundation of everything is trust everything else is just you know just just splinter cells you you touched on your your relationship with your dad let's pivot the conversation now <clears throat> i had an interesting conversation last week with a mutual friend of ours mark divine and he was talking about his upbringing right so i didn't know this is a second conversation i had with mark that he came from an extremely wealthy old money family in the United States. Effectively, what he said to me was that in the town that he grew up, uh, the actual town was centered around his house and they had a factory there for uh, you know a couple hundred years. And he said that there was this level of generational wealth within the family, but because no one in recent times actually had to work or create that wealth, there was... And, and, the, and the home was dysfunctional, the wealth actually compounded the dysfunction. Does that make sense? Because like you've got just rich people with lots of resources 
but they're in an unhealthy environment. And so we went into the whole downside of growing up in that kind of environment. Now, your situation is quite different. You were involved in a family that was quite aware, driven, intentional. And I know of your dad, I just want you to talk to us about what your childhood was like and what the influence of your parents on your, uh, your early days has really, you know, helped you become today. Absolutely. Yeah. I love that. Mark Devine, incredible guy. I've read all his books. Uh, I trained with him in, in 2011 at Seal Fit. You know what? I didn't never told you this, but it'd be interesting for listeners to hear just quickly. So when I went and trained at their facility in 2011, it was the week that they killed Osama bin Laden. I think it was May 2011. And so I went in there and did a CrossFit session one day and the news channels came flying in because SEAL Team 6 had killed bin Laden. Now, what was, what was crazy about this is we'd just done a workout, like a full CrossFit hour workout with Mark, and then Mark said, oh, why don't you guys stay and they'll do a thing and we'll, and, and we'll do the workout again so that these guys can uh, film and we'll talk about SEAL Fit and the, all this stuff just for some footage. So we did one workout and then we did another workout and then we did another workout for this footage. I reckon it took me a week to recover from that. But what a fond memory, hey? I was there when the, they came in on the interview. <laughs> when I told him that you were a friend of mine, he told he told me to tell you hi. Then he told me to get to tell you to get down. Give him yeah. some. <laughs> Give me some burpees, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> a hundred nice of them. Yeah, yeah, he's a great a nice guy. Well, I love that you asked that about my parents because they, they are uh, such an integral part of my life. And I'm very fortunate to have great parents. I know I'm very I'm hyper aware that there's people out there that have parents that aren't so great and influences that haven't been so great and a lot of dysfunction. But I was very fortunate to grow up in a very functional household. Now, of course, we all every family has a dysfunction. It's just the depth that it varies. But uh, that also entrepreneurs, I always grew up watching them chasing a dream. They were traveling, they were speaking everywhere, they were doing, they were empowering and working with people within their business globally. So I when I grew up, I saw the example of like, it's okay that you're out there hustling. Because your kids actually see that. And so that's been huge for me. Because sometimes we get this guilt complex of like, oh, I got to be home all the time with the kids. It's actually good for the kids to see you hustling. As long as you've got a little bit of balance and you include them in the dream. And we used to do the Disneyland trips and all that stuff. But it was always after they accomplished a goal. And so I think what my parents did for me growing up is they, they uh, built a solid root system of values, of character, of principle, of honesty, of all, 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 the, all the values and and, and principles that, that we have talked about have come from them. Now, when I went through a very rocky season of my life, which was, I mean, unbelievably rocky, that's why I reckon the root system that they built with me didn't, the tree didn't rip off because they were there and they'd helped build that. Because I'm in, I'm in recovery just like you. And I, I gave up partying 14 years ago when I, when I was 22 after a horrendous five years. And same with my brother. My brother's uh, in recovery. My wife's in recovery. His wife's in recovery. My dad's in recovery. So as you can see, we, we grew up and we knew that there uh, was adversity that our family had faced. That's why I don't think we ever got that. Sure, they'd done well financially, but we didn't get that whole, you know, oh, wow, money. I mean, m- you know, money's everything because it's not. Because tell you what, if you've got enough dysfunction, money's going to disappear. And so we were very grounded growing up, but we we're also taught, like, because I remember when we were kids, like my parents would, would fly in business class and we'd be at the back of the plane. And then they'd, uh, and I'd, oh, I have to go up and see them. It's like, they said, well, you, if you ever want to fly up here, you're going to have to earn it in your own right. And I'm like, that's good stuff. Wow. Now, little things. Little, you know, no, no, one could, no one should feel sorry for me at all there because we were still on a plane, which is better than 99% of the world. 
But those little things over time, my parents said delayed gratification is everything. And so I grew up with that principle, that principle of mum, mum would say, I'd say to mum, oh, I want a, I want a, a Discman. Remember Discmans? Yes. Yep. Play the CDs. And she'd say, great, set a goal. She'd always say, set a goal and only buy it once you accomplish that goal. I'm still talking about that at 36 years old now. Do you reckon I teach my kids that and I've taught everyone in business that? Of course. So what you're talking about is really a dichotomy around, you know, the accumulation of wealth in inherently what we're doing is we're creating comfort, but how do you create comfort without creating comfortable children? <laughs> like, it's, it's, it's really tricky, right? Like how do you keep them hungry? What are the little things that we can do to ensure that we're not creating entitled kids? Now with, with your dad, you know, when you reflect on how you came up, how do you feel that his recovery process and what he was doing in his evolution, like reflecting now on how you grew up in certain circumstances, do you see how that played into your upbringing, recovery in particular, and the principles in recovery? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, a lot of those principles, but they were very subtle, right? They were very subtle. You know, a lot of he lived the principles more than than preached them. So I saw it through example, not through you know a seminar. That's a big mistake that I think devoutly um, religious families do. Not all of them, because I think you know there's a lot of merit in this, but they can sometimes push it so hard on their kids that what it does is it either it either involves them or it presses them away, and then they go and you know get a freaking piercing through their nose and their eyes just to just to rebel against mum and dad. And, uh, and next thing, nothing wrong with the nose piercing, by the way, I'm talking about the big one through the nose, but stuff like that, that's like the total opposite of how their parents live, just to stick it to them. And so I think be the change you want to see in the world is how my dad's always lived, right? He lives a certain way. Same with my mom. She's, she's, mate, she reads more than me. It's quite remarkable. Reads a book every three days, a machine, all personal development, like the desire for growth. But my, one thing I always notice with my parents too, is their desire to build themselves and to build their relationship and to um and to be so focused on personal development that's that's why that's why i am the way i am because i watched it growing up and i realized the power of personal development so many people rj if we were to go to the top 50 podcasts in the country most of them would be sex murder scandal scomos ministerial positions what's going on with britney spears all that stuff like look it up look it up majority of people are not talking about this stuff yeah, it's interesting. We always wonder why there's so much crap out there. It's because we're consuming it. That's it. I just, I would just love the top podcasts in the in the country to be people listening to this stuff, trying to build themselves, their relationships. I mean, look at the level of domestic violence in society. Look at the level of abuse and brokenness and financial problems. And we wonder why. So one of my missions and goals is to help fix a lot of that stuff. Now, can I do all that myself? No, but that's the purpose of the infinite game. It's to have a cause that's bigger than you that will outlive your life. And so I want to teach people the concept of compassionate capitalism, which, which is helping people help people help themselves. And that is where, for me, RJ, I want to attach my purpose to my profit. So I've got, so capitalism has a whole bunch of problems. We know that. You know, it's got a bunch of upsides as well. But if we're compassionate in our capitalism and we're sharing wealth and we're helping people and we're contributing and we're empowering others, man, that's, that's, that's my life calling. What does that look like? Well, if I think about my 
business that I run now, we actually allocate a certain percentage of money that we make and we give that to a specific charity. We support one called Destiny Rescue, which frees children out of child sex slavery. Very passionate about that topic. Ever since I've had two daughters, and you see the level of um, sexual abuse and, and trafficking that goes on in the world. Never really had a, a charity speak to me before, but when I read that one, I went, wow, we're going we're gonna to become the biggest donor in Australia to that. Now, we're a way off. You've got to have got big dreams and goals, right? But we, we give a percentage of, of the money that we make away to that every month. That's just us. Now, other people may, you know, want to support the Smith Foundation or, or some sort of some sort of um, contribution vehicle. For me, that's the first part. But then the second part is teaching people to become financially independent. You know what? You know what the number one cause of divorce is in Australia, RJ? No, marriage. Outside of that, outside of that, outside of that, I like it. I like it. It's a good Outside of that, it's 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 money. It's management of money. It's it's the biggest stressor is finance. So I want to teach people how to become financially independent because I know that if we can get financial independence in our life, um, it's going to solve not all problems, but it's going to help with at least some of the foundational problems. Then, of course, we can work through. Uh, everything else as we go. But compassionate capitalism for us is is teaching people to become entrepreneurial, teaching people to have something of their own. Now, that's a niche because not everyone wants to do that. In fact, Kiyosaki says 90% of people live in employment, self-employment, but I'm going to help that 10% thrive. Why do you think, and interestingly enough, our our podcast episode that was released today uh, was a conversation with a woman named Robin Taub from Toronto, who's written a book on money smart kids. And that episode was released today. And one of the things that her and I talked about was how we live in a culture where like it's super taboo to talk about finance and like wanting to be financially independent. Like, and you would have lots of experience with this. Like why do people come off or come against like, like why does all this stuff come up when you bring this up with people? Like why do some people seem to get really uncomfortable around this topic? Mm, Well, I think, Firstly, two factors. People have a poor relationship with money. You know, that's one. Um, You see people have, you know, a lot of dysfunction around money. They attach a lot of emotion to money, anger to money. If they grew up without it, they grew up with it, all that. They have a very poor relationship with money. But secondly, that's more the root cause. Let's get to a little bit more of the society symptom. Is we We live in a culture in Australia, it's worse in New Zealand, of tall poppy syndrome. Tall poppy syndrome, it's massive. People don't talk about it enough. And, and people don't call it out enough. Tall poppy syndrome, man, I, I, I have a business in New Zealand. We have about 350, 400 people in our company there. And I can tell you, I've had so many conversations with people over there that when people talk about wanting to, to win big and they're wanting to um, you know, fly overseas and do all these things and have a great car and live a great life and leave a legacy, people just start to throw rocks at them. Oh, you don't need that. Jeez, you're greedy. You know? And then they start to make people hack away at people over there. Here in Australia, I suppose we're a little bit bigger, so it's, it's diluted a bit more. But man, the judgment. Here's, watch this, RJ. Here's the classic judgment. Okay, uh, you can drive a. You like Audis? I'm not necessarily a car person, but I, I do like I do like Audis. I do like yep. Audis. Mercedes, BMW, Audi. Okay, but if we go beyond that. If we press a little bit beyond that, what would you say is a step up from a Mercedes? A Maserati, Aston Martin? For me, like if I, yeah, that would be it. An Aston Martin would be like the car. If I had everything was taken care of and I had that money just to buy anything outright, it would be an Aston Martin for sure. Yeah. So for me, it would be a Bentley. I love Bentleys, right? Bentleys are fantastic. Now, if I was to drive a Bentley, 
the level of judgment that I would get, you don't need that. That's greedy. I mean, you, you know how many people you could feed with that? This, these are the type of things that go on when, when people do that. But I, I believe that if you, if you are subscribing to compassionate capitalism and you are helping other people in what you're doing, there should be no guilt around having nice things. It's actually really nice, RJ, to have nice things, to be able to travel, to be able to give your kids experiences. We went to the Gold Coast the other week, stayed on the beach. The kids loved it, man. Seeing, I like to see life through my kids' eyes. Now I don't drive a fancy car. I drive a Lexus. Like that's a it's it's a nice car, but it's not like whoa head turner. I see them around all the time. Now in a few years' time, for me, one of my goals is I want to I want to upgrade that car, man. I want to have the Mercedes electric. I want to step it up a little bit. Oh, there you go. The environmentalists love that Mercedes electric. And then down the track, you know, I want to hit that Bentley. Why not, man? If this is the stuff that's going to drive me to live closer to my purpose in terms of growing what I'm doing, but then also be helping other people with the profit. Why is that a problem? The only problem is people's perception of money and success. And we are so conditioned to go to school, get a good education, get a good job, save super, get the travel out of the way, have a couple of kids. Oh, we're not three kids because of inflation. We're so conditioned to this that what ends up happening is we live a, in middle-class syndrome. Hmm. I've heard you talk about this in many ways from your view and I can understand why, like middle class is kind of this purgatory, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think, hey, uh, there's, there's, if, this was, this, if this was to be listened to by many people around the world, middle class would be fantastic for 98% of the planet. But that's the issue, right? We get so comfortable. The average wage in Australia is $62,000 a year. That's phenomenal. Phenomenal. Despite the cost of fuel and so on. And you go to, I was talking to a guy in Dominican Republic the other day, and he said the average wage is between 200 and 500 US dollars a month. He said after 10 years of work, he might make two 2,000 US dollars a month. Now, this dude's making really good money now, but he was talking about how we can we can get caught in this comfortable comfortableness. And to be fair, what you mentioned earlier, I went to a, a really good school. I was fortunate to do that. And I've seen a lot of the guys that I went to school with and, and ladies, they get, you know, not all of them, some of them are absolutely kicking butt, but they're living a good life. So why why does it need to be better? And so my parents are always big on staying hungry, staying humble, you know, making sure that you're constantly working on your identity, increasing your internal thermostat. And I, you know what I did, RJ? I listened. I just listened. And I'm still massive about it. Like, I don't watch TV. I don't watch the news. Uh, the news comes to me on Instagram anyway. People go, how do you know that? You don't watch the news? I'm like, bro, I'm on Instagram. I get it. You'll have your friends that will tell you the news too. You know, your four friends that are always across it, right? <laughs> Absolutely. And so well, I just don't want to get comfortable because I figure that how do I want, if I want to live like everybody else, all I got to do is get comfortable with where I'm at. And the next thing you know, five years ticks by, um, I'm on a certain, you know, two, three, 400 grand a year. That's great. And that is fantastic. But, you know, 150 grand a year, let's say that people in Australia would go, that's good money. You lose a bit of that in tax. It's very easy to get comfortable and get stuck. And I'm just, I just, I've got such big dreams and goals. Here's a great quote that I live by. What we think is attainable is just a product of what we know currently. And what I know currently is not what I knew five years ago, and it's not what I knew five years before that. So as what I know currently grows, what I think is attainable so much more. That's what that's how I stay hungry. That's through personal to growth, growth and input. It, you know, people often ask me if I wasn't on the business journey, what would I be doing? And my answer to that is I would be <clears throat> probably in a shack somewhere running, ultra running professionally. And basically off the grid, living a runner's life. And the reason why for me, it's either 
this life of financial independence or that is because for me, the middle of the road is where, sure, you can earn that $150,000 a year, but to service that, the cost to service that in terms of your free time, again, to your earlier point, the things that really matter is very high. So for me, if I'm in the game, I have to go for financial independence because if I'm not, then I may as well really live a life of super simplicity, right? Like almost where I'm not in debt, I'm just living a life of leisure almost and passion and love. So for me, I really polarize my answer when someone asks me because I couldn't imagine being in the middle because you're, it's, it's hard, right? Like you're, you're kind of at a desk eight or nine hours a day. It's monotonous. You're doing the same thing. You're not with the people you love. You're not creating the leisure time. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's hard. Yeah. I'm with, I, I love that dude. I'm, I'm totally with you. If I wasn't doing what I'm doing, I, I would, I'd be, I'd be doing stand up comedy or I'd be doing acting. I'm not saying I'm funny, but, but I'm funny. You, you get it. Yeah. You are funny though. <laughs> I would be doing, I'd be doing acting or stand up comedy because I, my, I, what I, we know what fills me up more than anything in life is making people laugh. I love making people laugh. It just brings me, it brings my spirit so much joy. Uh, and that's, that's what I'd be doing. But the great thing is now I'm in business. I get to, I get to do that. I get to make people laugh. I get to meet, get to have fun with people. I built this company in three countries. And not only that, I get to bring in the final financial side of it. Where it's like, Hey, let's, let's grow together and build something together. And that, fill, that fulfills my contribution factor. So we're going we're gonna to start to land the plane here, Dom. One of the things, though, we always do with our, with our guests is start to really look at habits and systems um, around how they live. And one of the things that you do, I want to focus on the 90-day cycles because I think it's brilliant. I have a really loose way of doing this, but the way that you've structured it for me, really, uh, I, I just think you nail it. So can you talk about this habit of living by 90 day cycles. Absolutely. Yeah. I've been doing that since 2013, um, planning everything 90 days at a time, three months at a time. I don't know. There's just, you know, uh, one of the interesting things about planning is we can so often go, here's my goals that I want to achieve. And everyone's got different systems for it, but I'm really big on having a planner. And some people do this. Some people don't. I use one by a guy called Andy Frazella called the power list. And I write out my top five things that I want to achieve for the day. I write out my goals. I write out my gratitude. This is in the day. Three things I'm grateful for, my top three goals, the five things that I need to accomplish, what I'm currently reading and whether I won the day. I find that to be very effective. There's other things like the best self journal, things like that. I use the best self journal for about four years. Fantastic. But I have the 90-day goal, the 90-day cycle, which is, you know, okay, let's say that I want to accomplish this in the next 90 days, a whole bunch of different things. But then I get back to the day and then I do weekly review. So I've got to be living in the day. I've got to be ticking through, ticking through the five things that I want to accomplish. There's actually, um, if you want to Google something after this, it's called the Ivy Lee method. That's that's practically what I do. It's it's having the top five things you want to achieve, putting them put, putting them in order of priority to, to reach your week's goals. And if you miss them, the thing you miss goes to the top of the list the next day. That way you don't miss anything. You're always and it's dragging. You know what, RJ? There's probably something that you need to do today that you should have done four days ago. But when you see that, you write that down every day, that's going to annoy you enough. You need to finish it. There's nothing more annoying than an unfinished task. But then each week I'll review, see how I'm going. And then I live by that 90-day sequence, 90 days at a time. And then if I achieve that goal, then I'm going to reward myself at the end of 90 days, not at the end of 90 minutes. 
Brilliant. Well, Dom, I just want to thank you for your time, man. Like I really, really enjoyed our session. There's going to be a round two. We're going to have to dive into the identity stuff that, you know, that that's a, that's a, that's a show in itself, bro. And I, I, I think there's more to be revealed and explored in a further conversation. If you'll, you'll come back again, I'm sure uh, we can do that. Yeah. So look, in terms of where our audience could learn more about you and your businesses, is there anywhere that they can go to? Yep. Yeah. Hit me up on Instagram, Instagram and, and LinkedIn. So it's Dominic McKenna uh, on Instagram. It's at Dom McKenna. And uh, you can uh, give us a message or a follow or whatever it is. And um, yeah, we can, uh, we can chat. All right, brother. Thank you so much, man. Appreciate it. Thanks, buddy. Have a good one.